Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Well, it is the countdown to Christmas and uh, it is the time of year where not just the church, but our broader community uh, actually looks and uh, accepts, uh, watches on from the sidelines, the actual narrative of the Christmas message and the Christmas story. They talk a lot about the when and the where, but the when and the where are absolutely no use at all unless we know the why. And the why is actually the good news. To Joseph, the angel said this in Matthew 1 and 21, she will give birth to a son and you were to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. To the shepherds, the angel said in Luke 2 and 10, do not be afraid, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today in the town of David. A saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. If there's one thing increasingly that our world pushes back against in regards to the message of Christ, it is this concept of humanity being sinful. Uh, we reject that. Our world today does not acknowledge human brokenness. Human brokenness is just masked by a letter, generally. And because we don't acknowledge human brokenness, we don't understand the need we have for a saviour. I think I've said it before, if I was ever to write a book, the opening line would be, when I came to Jesus, the first thing I realised is that I was broken. Because humanity is broken. You don't have to look too far to recognise humanity is broken. So we are in need of a saviour and that is at the core of the Christian message. At the core of the gospel, at the core of the good news is that we have a saviour in Jesus. So the world doesn't like us kind of talking about that at Christmas. We like the, uh, the storytelling of Christmas. We love the nativity. People love the escapism at this time of year and there's no question we all enjoy that. There is an escape from the normal routines and pressures and demands of life. It's like everything just slows down for a very brief window. Not only that, but Christmas is a time, generally speaking, of great generosity. It's a time of kindness. For most people, it is a time for family. It's a time for friendship. And there's no question there it is the one time of year that actually community does it well. That is being community, coming together as community. For many people, it seems perhaps Christmas is the only time of year when we get a glimpse of a window of peace on earth and goodwill toward all men. So there is an escapism at Christmas time that uh, most people engage in and enjoy. It's also a brief shift of focus 
from me, and increasingly the world is becoming so self-focused. But at Christmas time, we have the opportunity of looking to others, blessing others and being generous towards others. And then tied up in all of that, we are reminded of the birth of Jesus. Now, there's no question at this time of year, the world over, Christians by the billions celebrate the birth of Christ. Theologians call it the incarnation, big word. But in simple terms, that just means God became man, that Jesus, when he lived his life on this earth, was fully God and at the same time fully human. Now, we'll probably never totally grasp that in this lifetime. But we accept by faith that God sent his only son, Jesus. And as Philippians 2 and 6 says, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, he appeared uh, and, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross. Why? So that we might be saved. Can I hear an amen this morning? And thank you to Sarah, whose message tied so beautifully into what I want to share today. Then we have this in Luke 19 and 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Now this is Jesus speaking about himself. And he's saying, hey, there's the why right there. That is the purpose of the baby in the manger. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, we might understand that that's the purpose of Jesus. Maybe what we've not contemplated is, why did he actually call himself the Son of Man? What's that all about? It's an interesting title. It's one that is actually used of Jesus about 85 times in the New Testament. Interestingly, only three times it's used by others referring to Jesus. The other 82 times, Jesus uses it to speak of himself. And I want to unpack this this morning. What is the Son of Man? What does that title mean? Because I think it actually helps us appreciate and understand Jesus in a far deeper way. First of all, the Son of Man is a declaration of the deity of Jesus, that he is God. If you go back to the Old Testament, we discovered it was a term that was actually used by the Old Testament prophets who prophesied, who foretold of the coming Messiah. Daniel 7 and 13. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All peoples, nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And this prophecy speaks directly about this coming Messiah. And the nation of Israel had been waiting for this Messiah for hundreds and hundreds of years. They knew these prophecies. They knew and they anticipated a coming Messiah. But sadly, they missed it because a babe in a manger was not what they were expecting. They were expecting a military ruler to come in and overthrow the Roman authorities and take back by force what belonged to them. Now, they may have missed it, but there were those present at the birth of Jesus 
who actually got it. There were those present in his infancy, the early years of his life, that sought after this promised Messiah, knowing that it was him. Matthew 2 and 1, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. You don't tell a current king that there's another king born. It's not a good move. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet uh, has written. But you in Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rules of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be a shepherd for my people Israel. <coughs> Herod sends the Magi to find out where he is. Uh, and I... I He's kind of saying, I want to come and worship him too, which is not exactly his intent. He wanted to take him out. But uh, the Magi went to look for Jesus. They followed the star. And finding Jesus, they worshipped him. They brought those gifts to him. But then uh, I, I suspect knowing Herod's intent, they took a different route home. And then verse 16, when Herod realised he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. When Jesus speaks of himself as the Son of Man, he's not pulling a name out of thin air. He's saying, I am the Son of Man. I am the Son of Man that was prophesied about. I am the one. I am the one, referring to that prophecy, to whom all authority and power and dominion has been given. I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And friends, this is why the words of Jesus were so offensive to the religious leaders of Jesus' day. I mean, he said things like this in Matthew 13 and 41. The Son of Man will send out His angels and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. Matthew 16, 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with His angels and He will reward each person according to what He has done. Mark 13, 26. At that time, men will see the, kind of, the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Those kinds of statements were so inflammatory. I mean, the, the, the Pharisees got so angry about that stuff so much, they actually wanted to kill Jesus because in calling himself the Son of Man, Jesus was identifying himself as God. But then we have this in Matthew 16 and 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The Pharisees couldn't get it. But Jesus wanted to make sure that the disciples did. And friends, the same question needs to be asked of each one of us today. Who do you say that Jesus, the son of man, is? What is his 
primary objective. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. So when Jesus refers to himself 82 times as the Son of Man, it is a declaration of his deity. I am God. I am the one. Jesus is God. But secondly, this title, the Son of Man, also and equally refers to his humanity. Jesus is the Son of God. He's referred to in the Bible as the Son of God. The Son of God certainly speaks of his deity, but in calling himself the Son of Man, it is a title that speaks as much of his humanity as it does his deity. Hebrews 2 and 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. So that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Do you know that Jesus as the Son of Man, it, there is not one person he does not represent. There is not one person that Jesus does not represent and we have this beautiful picture actually in the genealogy of Jesus in his ancestry we see this great mix of people yes there are great leaders incredible men and women of God but there's also liars and murderers and prostitutes and thieves and all kinds of people he had a really mixed ancestry he wasn't born into royalty he was actually born into humility and being very, very human in every way, he was born just as all babies are born. Luke 2 and 7, she gave birth to her firstborn son, her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Jesus was born as a baby, just like every other baby. He grew through childhood into adulthood, just as other children grew. Luke 2 and 40, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. And Jesus, as we read the account of his life through the Gospels, we get this clear picture that in every way he is very, very human. Jesus got tired. We all say we're so tired at this end of the year. You got to know Jesus knew what it was to be tired. John 4 and 6, And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, it was about the sixth hour. So Jesus knows what it is to be tired, just like you and I know what to be tired. Hey, what he got right is that he also knew what it was to have time out in the presence of his Father. We've got to learn that one. Jesus became thirsty like we do. John 19, 28, uh, sorry, John 4 and 6, and, uh, no, sorry. John 19, 28, later knowing that all was now uh, completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A very, very human need, a very human response. He got hungry like we do. Matthew 4 and 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, one of the most obvious statements in scripture, he was hungry. 
Hebrews 4 and 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. And Jesus died a physical death and a, 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 a painful, agonizing death. But the reality is, Jesus, being fully human, had to go through that process. And in the same way, all of us have got to face that one day, but in the same way that Jesus was resurrected, those who trust and have their hope in Him, we have this wonderful hope of, of physical resurrection. So Jesus, friends, in every way was fully human. He experienced the reality and the agony of every human emotion. The Bible tells us that Jesus had to learn and to grow in wisdom. It tells us about Jesus crying, Jesus being angry, Jesus having fun, Jesus being troubled in spirit. There were things that he marveled at. There were things that caused him to be incredibly sorrowful at times. So you can never ever make the claim that Jesus doesn't understand you. That Jesus doesn't know what you're going through. Friends, He identifies with your struggles. He identifies with your pains. He identifies with your frustrations. He identifies with all of those questions that you have and the fear and the uncertainty. Jesus experienced in every way the full sweep of human emotion. And that should give us confidence to know, you know what, God, you do know me. You do know what I'm facing. You do know what I'm going through. He has been in your shoes. He's even faced your temptations. So when you're tempted to think, nobody understands me, remember that Jesus, the Son of Man, He knows who you are. Jesus, the Son of Man, has been where you are. And Jesus, the Son of Man, cares for you and understands you. So the Son of Man, firstly, declaration of His deity. Secondly, a declaration of His humanity. And then thirdly, the title of Son of Man actually refers specifically to some of the roles that He has to fulfill. There's some of them we find in the Gospels. The Son of Man has power to forgive sins. Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man came to love and serve. The Son of Man came to give His life as a ransom for the lost. So there's a whole bunch of things that the Son of Man came and did. But we've also got to know there's a whole bunch of stuff that the Son of Man has yet to fulfill. We need to get excited about this. Matthew 24 and 36, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. We live with the hope Jesus is coming back. Who's excited about that? Don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. He went on to tell us in Matthew 2 and 4, uh, 24 and 44, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. Mark 13, 26, at that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Jesus said concerning that time of his return in Luke 12 and 8, I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. 
But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. Matthew 13, 41, the son of man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. So they are things yet to come. They are functions uh, and promises. This is to be expected that the Son of Man will return one day. We will stand before Him and give an account of our lives to the one who holds all authority, all power, all dominion. So at Christmas time, people are focused on Jesus. That's good. We take advantage of that. It's the best opportunity we have to share the hope, the real hope of Christmas, the real hope of Christ. And people love the joy, the peace, the love of Christmas. But sadly, when people think of Jesus, they kind of only think about this innocent little baby in a manger with a halo around his head. Some would go so far as to say he was a great man, a great teacher. But they actually refused to believe that he was God. But friends, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man 82 times. He is saying, I am he, I am the Son of God. So if he's not the Son of God, then you can't say he's a great man or a great teacher because he's somebody who is a liar or had extreme personality issues. Friends, Jesus is the Son of Man who is returning one day with all power and all authority. And that little baby that we look at at Christmas time is the Son of Man. We will all stand before Him. We will all give an account of our lives. He alone has the power to judge, the Bible tells us, both the living and the dead. And I don't know your needs this morning, but I know that God does. I'm going to invite the team to come back. I don't know all of us here this morning. I know most of you as I look around. But I believe God has brought each one of us here today. And in bringing us here today, he is reminded of this message. Or maybe you've heard it for the first time that Jesus, the Son of Man, fully human. But Jesus, the Son of Man, fully God. And the great thing is, Jesus is still doing a work in human hearts and lives today. What is that work? Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost.